Hello and welcome to the Hal Anderson Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast and please rate the podcast. Coming up today for you, Mike Duguid. He is with the Manitoba Cattle Producers and he is a producer in the Interlake where it is very, very dry. Maybe even a drought. Bill Campbell, the new head of the Keystone Agricultural Producers, will join us. Christine Cambly Care from Sylvan Learning Center. She is the director at Sylvan. We'll talk about keeping the kids sharp over the summer as they get ready now to head back to school. And my old friend Alan Castell will join us from Alpha Technologies. We're going to talk with him about 3D printing. And now, enjoy the podcast. Mike Duguid is uh, joining us on the phone now. He is uh, a producer up there, and he's with the uh, Manitoba Cattle Producers. Mike, thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it. Hi. Uh, Mike, how bad is this drought up there in the Interlake? Well, I wouldn't go as far as call it a severe drought, but it's extremely dry. I'll have to say that much. And you were telling me earlier on the phone the feed situation. Tell me about that. Well, our first cut of hay, basically 30 to 40% of normal. So that puts a real stress on supplies. Uh, We went into a long, cold spring, which meant all the reserves of hay that farmers had is used up. There's no uh, old bale sitting around that you usually see. And uh, pastures, they didn't really grow very much because of the cold and no moisture. There was no snow in the winter in the Interlake. Uh, Some places were more fortunate than us. But it was very dry, when we, and dugouts this spring are pretty low, and lots of them are empty right now. Well, and I've so even pretty, noticed with my grass up at the lake, up there at, at Sandy Hook and Winnipeg Beach, I mean, the grass isn't even grown. So, I, I, yes, you're right. It, it definitely is drier than it's been in a long time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm not a young guy anymore either, but it's uh, it's been a long time since we've seen anything close to this. And so what's the option then for uh, cattle producers? They don't have feed. What do they do? Well, there's we most of us are going to try and get as much cereal straw as we can as a supplement and then feed some grain with it or pellets if if uh, companies are available to make that. Uh, other than that, it's, uh, some guys are going to disperse uh, or reduce their herds quite a bit. Huh. And does straw cut it or not really? No, it's not it's not a real good thing, but I mean you'll you'll make your cows live through the winter and a little bit of grain with it'll go a long ways. And does that cost more than just feeding them hay? Is there an additional cost to that? Yes, it, the straw is not that expensive, but the the grain is. It'll cost more to feed a cow uh, because you'll have to supplement it with protein quite likely and uh, some more minerals. And it, it adds to more more hardship for guys that don't have access to all that. There's lots of fellows don't have grain fields around them that in the interlake. There's just straight grass. Yeah. And then uh, what are cattle prices like right now? They're decent at the moment. Uh, but I, I don't know how long that'll hold if there's a flood of cattle come in that are skinny and have to be sold. And, and I don't really know where they're all going to go if, uh, if it's as, as widespread into Saskatchewan, for example, they don't want cows. They don't want any more animals. So there might be a mass going to slaughter for, you know, young animals for no reason other than lack of feed. Yeah, and then uh, then that obviously, uh, you know, affects price too, right? It might, yes, yes. But we are small in the big picture in North America. Yeah. What other challenges have you guys faced up there in the Interlake this year? Well, uh, I guess we're... We, uh, our farm ourselves, we grow forage seed, 
and some of that is even half or less than half of a production. So that cuts into our income. Our cereal crops right now look decent, but they do need rain to fill. And uh, that could be a, a serious thing if it doesn't come shortly. Yeah, like time's kind of running out, right? I mean, you, you want, as you say, you want that crop to fill out and you need the rain right now kind of thing. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, that That's the way to look at it, I guess, is that sooner the better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, Mike, I appreciate your help. Thanks a lot. I just wanted to follow up on this text message that I got from a listener. I mean, they call it a drought, and I know it is very dry out there. You would call you would fall short of calling it a drought, though, eh? Well, it is very dry. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt when you got two inch cracks in the hay field, so two inches of rain would disappear overnight. And uh, it's been many years since we've seen cracks that big, and a lot of guys. Yes, they're calling and saying, look, our dugouts are right empty. They're drilling wells to water cattle. They're drilling wells to water their cattle. Yes, there's no water or you transport it. Wow. So talk a bit about that. I mean, that's a significant cost for producers out there. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Years ago, there was a program under PFRA that helped farmers dig big dugouts or drill wells and, and excess water and a few other programs that has been taken away many years ago. So there's no help uh, federally or provincially for that. Hmm. So you're having uh, farmers, uh, you haven't had to do it, but other farmers that are doing it are, I mean, I, I don't know, it's been a while since I checked the price of drilling a well, but you're probably looking at two or 3000 bucks, right? I think you can triple that. Really, eh? Five or six, I would think, but I'm not a well driller. Yeah, and well, and it's been, a, and, as I, and as I said, it's been a while since I've, uh, I've had to price that out, so so yeah, that may be the case. And then tell me about the two-inch cracks in the hayfields. Well, that's just what uh, Clayland does up here. And, and, and like you s- moisture to fill them in. Yeah, and then like you said, you do get a good rain, and I mean it just gets sucked up real fast and doesn't do a heck of a lot of good, does it? Well, it'll get into the root system, and that's what we want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like you said, your lawn is a bit brown. Our pastures are the same, and as soon as you get an inch of rain, they'll they'll rejuvenate somewhat. Yeah. The difference is uh, I'm not counting on my lawn for a living. (laughs) No, you're not. No. (laughs) Yeah. Well, listen, Mike, thanks a lot for joining us. I appreciate your time and I wish you guys all the best up there. Thank you. And joining us on the phone now, the new president of the Keystone Agricultural Producers, Bill Campbell. Good afternoon, Bill. Good afternoon, Pat. First of all, congratulations on the presidency of, uh, of CAP. Thank you very much. It is uh, quite an honor. Yeah, and I saw a line in the news release that we got today. You, by the way, farm near Minto. You've got 2,640 acres, 1,700 of those are seeded to annual crops. You run a purebred limousine cattle operation, which is all interesting, and it sounds like you've uh, uh, you know, been at it a while and, and, and good for you and now representing other growers and producers like yourself. But I thought this was kind of an interesting quote from you in the news release. You said, I accept the presidency with great enthusiasm and look forward to engaging with our grassroots farmers, uh, farmer membership as well as with industry stakeholders in government. There is a lot to our organization and what to do. We need to, and here's the line, we need to look down the road five to ten years to see where agriculture fits in the Canadian economy. So let's talk about that. I thought that's a good starting point for a, a conversation. What do you think we need to do? And when I say we, I mean, you know, farmers, growers, and producers in the next five to ten years. 
Well, I've been uh, privy to some information and uh, reports and uh, committee reports and have been uh, aware of the Barton Report, which is uh, the Canadian government identifies as agriculture as one of the strongest growth sectors in the Canadian economy. So they, they're looking to expand uh, our exports to $75 billion by the year 2025. At the time, that seemed like quite a ways away, but as we uh, near the end of 2018, that's not that far away. So I think we need, and uh, I was part of a CFA conference in Vancouver this past July where the federal and provincial ag ministers were present, and we need to have some type of vision and some type of direction as where we're going, and we need to lay down strategy so that the primary producers can be part of this because all of these expectations will not and cannot happen if we do not have primary producers participating in these high expectations so yeah and then you've got challenges right like we just talked to uh mike dugut up in the inner lake they've got a, if not a drought it's a near drought situation there's no hay uh you know you've got those year-to-year challenges but then you've got the trade issue and, and what's going to happen on that front so i mean there are lots of uh lots of obstacles for you to deal with well it, it's um it's an ongoing uh concern that we have in agriculture we're we're always dealt with weather and then we always seem to deal with uh, trade issues and prices and global markets and all kinds of stuff but you know our our farmers primarily we focus on primary production you give us a challenge to produce something and we'll produce it the best of our ability we have seen the agriculture industry grow uh, productivity wise um, greatly in the last uh, generation and so so we're we're up to our end of the challenge, but we also need to recognize that anytime these things happen, there are risks and there are rewards. And we need to have some business risk management tools so that people can afford the risks and not be left exposed to uh, these trade elements and weather and uh, and all of those concerns as well. So so we need to develop a a very encompassing business risk management program so that farmers are protected from some of those things. So, And obviously that is done with the help of government. That's what you're getting at here. Yeah, and, and that's the, the, you know, we have our crop insurance, but we have some other programs that have been cut fairly seriously, and I'm not sure they offer the right protection that we need. We have an announcement by the U.S. administration where they're going to subsidize their farmers for $12 billion. Right. So how do how do we compete against those type of things? The the European Union is in a drought situation, and I just read that the German farmers are asking for one billion euros. So uh, you know we we cannot be left exposed to those type of uh, compensations for our trading um, competitors. So yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, listen, uh, your predecessor uh, has been great to deal uh, been great to deal with Dan Mazer, and I'm looking forward to dealing with you, Bill. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for the conversation, Al, and and we look forward to uh, talking to you in the future. And my uh, congratulations for Dan and his con- contribution to Keystone Ag Producers. It has been uh, a large contribution, and I think all farmers and citizens of Manitoba should thank him for what he has done. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill. Thank you very much. 
So uh, obviously we're starting now to think about back to school, right? And I saw a story this morning and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. The story says more than a quarter of kids starting school, so, you know, five, six years old, more than a quarter of them are unable to communicate in full sentences. Does that surprise, it surprises me, but does it surprise you? You deal with kids and parents every day. No, it does not. Really? No. Wow. And what's the problem? Um, Too much screen time? Well, I, I mean, screen time is is definitely kind of a thing that society has changed over the years. Yeah. But I think that like introduction to literature and literacy at an early age is unfortunately less and less all the time. Hmm. And I think it's important for, you know, parents to have kids exposed to libraries and bookstores, reading to their kids. And I think a lot of parents do try, but I think, you know, as both parents are working, we get less and less time to to fit those activities into our day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where at work for me, yeah. we see it more and more where, you know, kids going into kindergarten or even coming out of kindergarten don't know the letters of the alphabet. Yeah, I'll give you another one. You just mentioned not knowing the letters of the alphabet. (laughs) Here's one that I got from a mother today. Her 10-year-old going into grade 6 can name every dragon in the How to Train Your Dragon universe. Right? Impressive. But that 10-year-old going into grade 6 cannot recite the months of the year in order. And she has hidden the iPad, and she is making flashcards for after dinner tonight. Yeah, I I mean, the iPad is definitely a tool. It's a learning tool that I think is integrated into our society. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, paper and pen and books are still very important. And kids need to be exposed more to it than ever before. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't want to point blame, but I think whenever there's a problem, we always want to find the reason why. So our parent, like you said, kids need to be exposed more to books or libraries and that sort of thing. And parents are very busy, and I understand things have changed over the years. Mm-hmm. But that's not an excuse, is it? I mean, these are our kids. We still have to find the time to expose them to books and reading and whether they're excited about it or not, we got to get them excited about it, right? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's an important aspect of life. And I mean, early exposure is is key. Um, and even reading to your kids when they're babies is important because you want to instill that love of learning and that, in, that joy in books mm-hmm. early on so that they want to do it themselves mm-hmm. as they, you know, get older. So Sullivan Learning Center has been around for a long time. When we were talking about this in our news meeting this morning, you were the first people I thought of, right? You're known you're, you're known as there to help the kids through those challenges or those times when they're having trouble. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing an increase in business, not necessarily just at your location or your, but is, is there more, are parents turning more and more to companies like yours? I would say that some parents certainly are. Um, you know, we've definitely seen an increase in um, demand for like lear- early learning programs. Um, in fact, we've got a new program starting in the fall for four-year-olds um, where they can come in either two or three times a week where, you know, we're going to spend that time for that kindergarten readiness. So yeah. when they hit kindergarten that they're ready for it. Hmm. And are there certain things, I imagine there are certain things that they kind of should know by the time they hit kindergarten, I guess, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, we are finding that more and more kids are not ready for kindergarten. Hmm. Um, 
which is why we've decided to start this early learners program and help parents prepare their kids for kindergarten. Yeah. And what about during the summer for any student of any age? Do you do things over the summer so they stay sharp? Because we hear that in some countries, other countries, they don't do that big big two-month break every summer because they they do shorter breaks a couple times a year because they find when kids come back, they're rusty, right? They, they're, Absolutely. Yeah. So would you suggest that's a good idea, whether it's Sylvan or parents just working with their kids over the summer, that they keep them fresh? Highly, highly recommend. Um, you know, kids attending over the summer, even at like a place like Sylvan, is, is key to mm-hmm. making sure that they continue their learning. It, it's a long break. Yeah. You know, it's 10, 10 to 12 weeks, depending on, you know, elementary or high school. And that's a long time for kids to to not be engaged in any kind of learning. Mm-hmm. And have things changed in the sense that, listen, my handwriting is horrible, right? I don't think you can <laughs> even read what I've got in front of the ear. I, sh- I should be a doctor with handwriting like this. But does handwriting matter anymore? We're all on our keyboards now. Are there some things that just don't matter as much anymore? Uh, I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that penmanship is something that isn't focused on anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, the kids have tools like iPads and keyboards and laptops. Yeah. Um, we have kids, you know, that are coming to us that are five years old that don't know how to hold a pencil. Wow. So See, I hear stuff like that or somebody who's going into grade six, 10 years old and, and can't say January for, you know, the months. Yep. Mm-hmm. It just surprised. Now, I'm not a parent, so maybe I need to, you know, get with it here. But that just surprises me. I know the mom that I, I told you about with the months of the year. Yep. She was blown away. I can't believe my 10-year-old going into grade six can't do that. Well, as a parent and an educator, it, it doesn't surprise me. Um, mm. it's, it's unfortunate. But, you know, the reality is that kids don't have all the tools that they need to be yeah. successful, unfortunately. Right. But... You know, that mom and moms that are dealing with four-year-olds going into kindergarten, they got time. Absolutely. I, am, I imagine you see kids much later in life mm-hmm. that have challenges that they will have with them their entire life. Of course. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. I think if nothing else, this conversation is is hopefully a bit of a, I'm going to talk to my kid a bit tonight and, you know, and, and, and sort yep. of find out where they're at with some of this stuff because uh, it really surprised me and... Uh, but as you said, being a mom and, and being uh, at Sylvan, yeah. not, not a big surprise. But I really do think it's great that, you know, uh, places like Sylvan are there, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. parents, as parents, I mean, we love our kids and we do, you know, everything that we know how. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you just need that outside help that mm-hmm. as a parent you'd love to be able to do. But, yeah. I mean, I can't do it with my own kids and I do it with others. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Hey, Christine, thanks for coming in. I know you're a little nervous. You were great. You were fantastic. Christine Cambly Care, Sylvan Learning Center. Now, we're not going to talk about 3D guns, but I am curious to know more about the 3D technology. And a friend of mine, Alan Castell, I've known Alan for a long time. He has a company in town called Alpha Technologies, and I know he knows all about 3D printing because, uh, first of all, Alan, good afternoon. 
Hey, Hal, how are you doing? Hey, great. Thanks a lot for doing this. So uh, oh, I'll get to I'll get to our history in a second. I don't want to bore people with that, but I've known you for a long time, <laughs> and I know it wasn't too long ago you went out and got a 3D printer because you had something you wanted to print. And I know one thing about you. You know the ins and outs of 3D printing and 3D printers. So tell me about this technology. How, give us a little history on 3D printing. Well, I mean, 3D printing, and a lot of people always wonder, is, is like, how does it work? And the, the explanation I give to people, how is if you picture a glue gun, and a glue gun, you put a stick in the back, and, and you squeeze the trigger, and if you squeeze it fast, it spits out plastic fast if you squeeze it slow then it puts it out nice and controlled so if you if you were to think if i were to try to make something with that glue gun by creating a a layer and then another layer on top and another layer on top that's basically how a 3d printer works especially what are called fdm which is a fused deposition modeling printer and that's the type that has a spool of plastic uh, different types, ABS, which people are familiar with from Lego parts, yeah. and what's called PLA, which is a polylactic acid, which is made actually from plant material, so it is completely degradable. Hmm. So in the most case, you know, I, I, I got into 3D printing because exactly as you said, there was something in it that actually was drone parts. So for drones that I, I had ideas for and I wanted to make, and there was nothing available, and so I taught myself CAD and I picked up my first printer, which was a box of parts that was shipped from overseas. And it probably took me a good weekend just to get my brain wrapped around building it, but I did. And I now actually have one in my office next to my desk. So I have a, a higher quality model that I use for doing things like business card holders. Our whiteboard marker holders are all custom made here, uh, fidget spinners and um, cup holders and things like that. We actually make and have listed around the office, just things that ideas that guys come up with we're able to, in a short period of time, make them. Isn't that cool? So it's great for prototypes, right? So for somebody who's, who's, who's invented something, they don't have to send it off and pay thousands and thousands of dollars. They can just print it themselves. You can print it yourself. And I mean, I have a couple of ideas that what I do is I create the prototype and then I will go to a traditional manufacturing house that uses injection molding because the cost, it's not so much the cost, Hal, it's the time. It takes a lot of time to print a prototype out. Mm. But once you've got something like that and you want to take it to mass market, what you would do is take that prototype. They would then create a mold from it and then use injection molding to mass produce that item. So it's not quite there because of speed and technology when it comes to a mass production aspect, but it's definitely there in the prototyping and now very rapidly entering into dentistry and into jewelry. Really? And and listen, we yeah. talked to, uh, briefly, I mentioned 3D guns. That's the latest thing that's kind of in the news. But I mean, there are mm-hmm. great things that come from this too, like prosthetics, for example. Absolutely. Prosthetics is one that there's been a lot of groups that have been doing from a not-for-profit standpoint, just taking people that, that can't afford these these things and, and designing and building and printing these. Even I think I read about some guys in Europe that have a mobile vehicle that literally goes from place to place so that they can do the proper measurements and, and actually outfit people who wouldn't be able to afford these type of things. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's wonderful when it's used that way. We now have the technology, which stems from routing. If you remember, you know, when, with lathe and things that you, that used what's called G-code. Yeah. Well, the same type of code is used. And, and what's happening now is we're seeing with proper materials them able to print out a house, able to print out uh, you know a small cabin using concrete and using the same method of directing it in, in what's called an XYZ. So, you know, X, remember your, your school, uh, you had two dimensions on graph paper. Well, the third one is your, is your height. Well, they're now able to use uh, 
concrete and actually spit concrete out in a controlled way so that they can build something. So we are just touching onto this technology right now. And uh, the guns has brought it to the front of the attention, but realistically, anybody printing out, you know, something that wants to shoot, uh, uh, you know, a bullet, I would really stay pretty far back because unless you really know what you're doing, that's got a better chance of exploding in your hand than it does of doing anything damaging. Yeah, right. Yeah, very cool. You know, it's sort of interesting, Alan, that you and I are talking on World Wide Web Day because when I met you, the World Wide Web was not very old. And I was working here in Winnipeg. I was fairly new to Winnipeg in radio. And I did a remote every Saturday for months, for months at Mind Computer Products. And you ran Mind Computer Products back in the day. That was when computers were a ton of money. And I remember getting my first computer. And now look at you. You took Alpha. You started Alpha Technologies in a garage in St. James. You now got a big, beautiful building on on Portage Avenue. I mean, you must be really excited about all the success you've had. You know, it's it's been uh, quite the ride. I mean, a lot of up and downs, as, as you know, because you and I have spoken about it, but there's definitely been a consistency of what we've tried to deliver. And, you know, in Alpha, I was allowed to, I guess, kind of make things in the way that I'd always wanted other companies to do and brought on board a bunch of guys that I'd worked with over that time period, kept those relationships alive. And yeah, we're, we're lucky enough now to be working with some of the largest companies in the city, such as Shinnico and Salisbury House and guys like that. And yeah. And doing doing good things, I mean, taking technology and helping people to understand it, um, not necessarily at the deepest of levels, but understanding the application aspect of things and just helping people leverage it in the proper way. So, yeah, yeah I'm really excited. Well, yeah, again, congratulations, and thanks for explaining the 3D printing to me today. And i got to have you on more often because you are a real expert when it comes to all this stuff. And I'll just quickly explain a little bit about what Alpha is. But Alpha Technologies essentially is you are the IT guy. So a company doesn't have to have an IT guy or two or three of them. They go to you, and you become their IT guy. Absolutely. And then in all fronts, everything from helping them negotiate their contracts with their providers to taking care of antivirus on the computers and and helping companies not just to put a Band-Aid on hell, but to look to the future and and give them a heads up test to technologies that may help and affect their business. So we've tried to be, and and I'll use a car analogy, we've tried to be more like BMW than than we've tried to be like a a Kia or a Hyundai, though there's places for everybody. Mm. We've really tried to focus on the complete hand-holding experience, whether it's security, alarm systems, you know, camera or, yeah. or phone, which has been our specialty for years. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been a long ride. And I mean, you've been around with me for a whole bunch of it too. Yeah. Yeah. Alan, great to chat with you. We'll talk soon. You too.